as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the sixth fall and- Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I am Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot I am Andy Wilson, also a Big Shiny Robot Hey, and who's that over there in that little corner I see? And I'm Brooke Hyme, hello! Yay! Brooke, glad to have you back, it's always a pleasure having you here and sharing your thoughts on movies with us uh, so this week we've got three movies. We've got How to Be Single, uh, the new Michael Moore documentary Where to Invade Next, and Zoolander 2, the follow-up to the cult classic from 2001. And you, I think, liked How to Be Single a bit more than I did, so why don't you tell us about it? How to Be Single is essentially a story about self-discovery that is masquerading as a screwball madcap rom-com. In as much as it tries to be very funny and has all sorts of party antics with its leads. It does that fairly well, uh, but it's really masking this uh, undertone and this basic story of our main character, Dakota Johnson's character, who is trying to find herself. She went off to college, fell in love with the first boy that she met, and they've been together ever since. And after graduating and she's about to take her first jump Uh, into the professional world and she says I have all of this stuff that I need to still do to figure out who I am we need to break up so they break up and she meets uh, at her new job Rebel Wilson who is another paralegal and she goes out and parties every night and says I'm going to teach you how to do this Uh, They're joined in some of their adventures by uh, Dakota Johnson's older sister, who's played by Leslie Mann. And uh, they run into the very lovely Allison Brie, uh, who we know from Community, who kind of joins them on this journey. And through the lens of these four different characters, we see them exploring what it is to be single in New York. If this sounds a lot like Sex in the City or uh, a lot of other kind of uh, chick flick rom-com sort of things, you're absolutely right. Uh, in fact, this is uh, from from the same writers and producers uh, who previously worked on Sex in the City, New Girl, He's Just Not That Into You, uh, and uh, several other movies in, in the same vein. If you like those things, if you like the people behind it, you're probably going to like this movie. Uh, I think there's also a really great uh, side to this movie that that I want to talk about a little bit more. But before we do that, I want to I want to hear what what you think about it. Um. So, ugh, I'm really mixed in this one. It's first of all, I'm sorry, I don't get Dakota Johnson. I don't understand what the why people put her in movies because she's not really that good of an actress, and, and honestly. I think her role could have been better filled by someone with talent. Um, <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah, that's... Sorry. I, I think maybe Fifty Shades of Grey just kind of ruined her for me. Um, it, it's a really cool story as far as the idea that people need to understand how to be single and how to be happy being single. I mean, you look at the, the number of divorces and all the relationships that just don't work because people think they have to rush into these relationships and they can't be happy by themselves... But 
everyone just kind of goes about it the wrong way. And as much as it's trying to be very much very female positive, and there is a very that aspect there of you know going out, being your own person, doing what you want, it kind of goes back and it's it kind of folds back in on itself when it's like the only way these women realized how to be happy by being single is because they had to go through a bunch of guys first and guys showed them the way how to get there. So for a movie that's supposed to be about feminists and feminine power, it really felt like a pull back from that by going that route. Um, I don't know. It just, it's, it, it wasn't horrible. In fact, when I walked out, I, my comment was, you know, there's a lot worse things you could see uh, for like a Valentine's day movie or for um, kind of a rom-com. But like you mentioned before with sex in the city and he's just not that into you. We've already done this story before and we've done it better. So I'm not sure why we need to come back and kind of rehash it again. Because rebel Wilson, because rebel Wilson is always funny. And rebel no. Wilson is, is, is as our good friend, Jimmy Martin brought up, um, she's good in small doses and that she actually was great here because while she is in the movie a lot, she's not in it constantly. So she, she gets her time to come in and say something funny and leave, and then come back in five minutes later and say something funny and leave. So that did work really well here. Uh, you know, her role, and actually uh, Jake Lacey, who was in that horrible Love the Coopers, we know how much I absolutely love that movie. Um, he actually was the only good part in that movie, and he's really kind of fun here as the happy-go-lucky, almost naive boyfriend to uh, Leslie Mann. Yeah. He's great here. He's um, I have a lot of love for Jake Lacey from another movie he was in a couple of years ago called Obvious Child, which is the funniest movie you will ever see about abortion. But anyway, <laughs> um, but uh, so I want to see that. It, no, Brooke, you would love that movie. You need want, to see. Well, this. also there's Grandma too, which I need to see with uh, what's your face. Oh yeah, Grandma. That's also it's a really great, common, yeah. great, um, hilarious so abortion Jake movie. Jake Lacey is cool, and then my favorite part though. Was the was the scenes with Allison Brie, who was always fantastic, and it was really fun seeing her reunited with Jason Manzukas, who was her co-star in Sleeping with Other People. Uh, yes, the, the scene between the two of them when they first meet was hands down the best scene in the movie, and the one I truly laughed my ass off at. Yeah. <laughs> so here, talking about all of those things, what what this really came down to for me was this felt like an old-school 80s screwball comedy, uh, sex comedy, uh, like in the vein of Porky's, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, etc., but with all of the genders flipped. So, in and Rebel Wilson is very much the Jeff Spicoli of this movie. You go back, Jeff Spicoli is not the main star of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but he's the one we all remember because he sticks out so much and he was such a huge character. But that wasn't his story necessarily. And you had all of these other uh, stories intertwining and, and everyone had these these moments. But it was about guys going on this self-discovery by growing up and, and having different sexual relations with girls and, uh, and and so on and so forth. So I think it's it's very much in that realm and it, it it's kind of funny if you were to apply the Bechdel test to this movie in reverse it would fail. There are no scenes in this movie where men talk to one another about anyone else except the female characters. So it feels like there is 
somewhat, I don't know if we call that progress, but to me that seems like progress, that it's so far out there that we are saying it is okay for there to be a female-led and a female-pushed sex comedy um, that also then has a very female empowerment undertone. In in some ways, I I would call this movie "Eat, Pray, Booze, Fuck." <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that's essentially what what this reminded me of, and um, I, I that's where this is going. But like you said, it's not it it's not done as well as some other things, and we have seen a lot of this before. What what makes me enjoy this movie is even though it's kind of all over the place and chaotic, that's a lot like the characters in this film. But they're so charismatic that I kind of fall in love with it anyway. So I'm willing to forgive it a lot of its problems the same way I'm willing to forgive a million Woody Allen and Judd Apatow movies for their problems um, because they're just so charming at their core. But still, when it comes right down to it, I'm at a six and a half out of ten. Uh, that that can only get me so far. There's a lot of problems with this movie, but for the most part, it, it did it for me. Yeah, and I, I think the had this movie come out two, three years ago, it would be a different experience because you know we've had bridesmaids, we've had train wreck, we've had these yep. great uh, female-led comedies and movies that were very empowering and also let everything hang out and be raunchy and be fun and, and be dirty. Uh, so this isn't as edgy as it would have been a couple years ago. Uh, and like that, unfortunately, we've got we've had better movies to compare it to. So I'm only at a 5 out of 10. Uh, like I yeah. said, this isn't... There are worse things you can go see at the movies. Uh, there's a lot better ones, like Deadpool. Uh, but, um, yeah, they're just, there's, there's too many mixed messages. They, they're not really kind of on the ball. And again, I don't know why the hell Dakota Johnson's in this, because she's horrible. So And... and, and yeah, I, uh, Oh, sorry, Brooke. Uh, I, I will let you say that in one second. But Adam, remember, this movie is not made for us. So but I want to throw that out there. So sorry. Go ahead, Brooke. Well, having not seen it, and knowing who the movie <laughs> was made for, and I, I apologize for having not seen it, but I'm going to say that my opinion of this movie, from what I have seen and talked about with other people, go see Deadpool. Rip the sweetest thing. Watch that because that's like. Oh, sweetest thing is, and make sure you get the unrated one. Yeah, the unrated <laughs> version of the sweetest thing is going to do everything that this movie does for you only better. Cool. Yeah, that's actually that, that sums it up better than I could say because the sweetest thing again was that first kind of it romp first, into that. I remember walking out of the theater after watching that movie in tears. My two best friends and I went. We were all very Mormon at the time. Two of us are no longer, and the one that still is did not appreciate that movie at all. And <laughs> the other two of us were hysterical over how funny, how empowered, how flipped it was. And it was it was everything. So just rent that. Go see Deadpool. Do yourself a favor. Or if you, if you missed, uh, like we were talking about, Grandma, Obvious Child, or... Um, what were we just talking about with with Allison Brie? My, oh, my sleeping favorite. with other people. Sleeping with other people. I think all of those are better films. Trainwreck, better film. All of those are are probably better for a Valentine's Day girl empowerment than than this, but still not bad. If you got to go to a theater and you're looking for something in that vein, 
it'll do it for you, but it's not going to be like the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, it, again, there, there are worse movies out there. If, if you know you're this, if rom coms aren't your thing, and you're getting dragged there by your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whoever, to go see this movie, there are enough funny moments to get you going. Uh, just don't expect to walk out and be doubled over and laughter like you would with the sweetest thing or a train wreck. So. But go see Deadpool instead because it's just as romantic. Go see, see it Deadpool. again so we can we can drive that record number up. We'll talk about that later. See go see Deadpool. Go see Deadpool. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Andy, you got a chance to see where to where we invade next or where to invade next? The new where to horror? invade next? Yeah, cool, Michael. Michael. Oh, go ahead. It didn't even screen up here, so I haven't even seen it in theaters for any kind of release yet. So, yeah, you know they screened this for us way back in December. Uh, because I think they had originally thought they were going to release it nationwide and try and get it in Oscar contention for Best Documentary for last year. Yeah, it's definitely not that. The biggest failing of this film is that it is a Michael Moore documentary, and so it's very good, but it's just not as good as Sicko or Bowling for Columbine or uh, Roger and Me. And the issues he's trying to take on here are very prescient. They're very now. It's very timely. But uh, a lot of the shtick that Michael Moore tries to lay on top of these very serious issues wears very thinly by about half, halfway through the movie. And it drags it down and somehow cheapens it and makes it a little bit less important. Where to Invade Next, his premise is the American dream seems to be doing actually really well everywhere except America. Uh, lots of other places have freedom. Infant mortality is low. Uh, people have a strong safety net. People are democratic and free. We invented those things or we innovated the things that, that caused them to happen. We exported them across the world and then it's like we've forgotten how to do them ourselves. So, so it's, it's basically the opening scene from Newsroom. Uh, kind of, yeah. It, it is. And, and in fact, that's my recommendation, that you can get the message of this movie better in that opening scene from the Newsroom in those two minutes than uh, in the two... Wow. Go watch that. But uh, the... So what Michael Moore says is instead of using our military to go out and invade countries and bring back resources to the United States, military, you take a breather. He's going to go to these other countries, invade them, and bring back those things to America that we need. So he goes to Italy, and he talks to this beautiful, oversexed Italian couple about how great it is that they have eight weeks of paid vacation. And he plants a flag in their living room and says, I'm claiming eight weeks of paid vacation and I'm bringing that idea back to America. He goes to France and shows how amazing the meals are that they serve in schools, the school children are. And he plants his flag there and says, I'm bringing back uh, good nutrition for children. He goes to Finland and, uh, and to Iceland and Denmark and uh, all over the place and, and finds all of these things, free college, banking regulation. And it gets really depressing because when you think about all of these things, you're like, man, 
our country is really kind of screwed up. And it's so sad that Finland has such an amazing public education system. And we could be that way, but we're choosing not to. Uh, because they did things like have more recess and get rid of standardized tests and uh, give free college to people, to everyone. Uh, so it's it's just really amazing. But Michael Moore puts on this horrible, ugly American uh, persona, which you can tell it's a persona he's putting on because when he goes and meets with government officials in Slovenia, he doesn't act that way. He acts like a professional. But when he's sitting there talking to little French school children in terrible uh, middle school French that he learned 30, 40 years ago, it's just awful. And I understand what Moore is trying to do. He's trying to make fun of our cultural imperialism and point out how gaudy and awful it is but it it has the subtlety of a sledgehammer and it makes it a rather than his humor making it an easier pill to swallow like it has been in bowling for columbine it made it harder for this to go down because it was just so distracting I think he would have been better off by being more sincere. And this film is best when Michael Moore plays it straight and is sincere and talks to people. And he asks, he asks a young couple in Slovenia, like, do you, how much debt do you have because of college? What, what is debt? We don't understand this word. Well, debt is where you owe someone a lot of money because of school. How much student debt do you have? And they're like, we, we don't have any of that here. What are you talking about? He, he walks along the Berlin Wall and talks about what an amazing watershed moment that was when the wall came down and how things can change very rapidly if only people decide to take small actions and, and, and start moving things forward. So it's a very nice call for, for reform, for freedom, and yes, it does sound like a two-hour-long campaign commercial for Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, because it kind of is. I think that, that as a film, it, it doesn't work as well as more could have made it work. Uh, as, a, as a documentary of showing what's going on in the rest of the world and how we're being left behind, yeah, it's, it's very troubling. But... Uh, I I think he he played it um, he played it too fast and loose and he could have uh, he could have put it together better. But that being said, it's a Michael Moore documentary. So if this had been done by some unknown person, we would have all been lauding how oh this guy's the next Michael Moore, this guy's the next big thing. The biggest problem is that Moore himself is in it and decided to make himself such a grating presence rather than a kind of fun, uh, chummy presence like like he did in Bowling for Columbine or Roger and Me. Right, and we've brought that up before like with The Good Dinosaur from Pixar is when you've got someone who's very accomplished and does a great job at making these types of movies or just has a great track record, the bar's going to be held a lot higher to them and their work than, say, you know, a different studio. Um, 
no, I, I'm definitely interested to see it. I've seen pretty much all of his documentaries. Uh, the only thing that really annoys me about Michael Moore is that his documentaries are always very entertaining. But for me, I'm more... And even though every single documentary is being made to have a point and drive this idea home, um, it's always kind of nice when you don't see the bias going in. <laughs> uh, and that's something, you know, it, I'll give him credit for the fact that he's always very honest and open about what he's trying to accomplish. But at the same time, I, you know, there's some of my favorite documentaries, the ones that just present the facts and let you kind of make your own mind. And yeah, they can kind of steer you the way they want you to go, uh, but not quite as so over the top and in your face with it, which is why uh, the one documentary that everyone loves up here in Salt Lake that I absolutely hated uh, was Eight, The Mormon Proposition. And it was about the passing of Prop 8, but it was so heavily, heavily, um, it was like propaganda. I mean, just they hit you over the head with it. Everyone who was on one side of it was the bad guys. Everyone else on the other side was the good guys. Um, I felt the same way about that documentary. I thought the case against eight was a far better encapsulation and that's of what, I was trying to what was the going on. Yeah. That one actually, it was interesting. It just presented what was happening. And yeah, it showed people who disagreed with each other and who were a complete ideological opposite divides. Uh, but no one was presented as, oh, well, they're a bad person. I mean, yeah. they're, they're evil, you know, so. But that's, and that's just maybe my personal preference as far as what I look for in a documentary film. Um, but... And Michael no. Moore kind of crosses that line a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, Michael Moore, the the difference between Michael Moore and, like, straight-up agitprop is, like, a, a couple of degrees of difference. Um, the difference is you look at other people who are trying to do what he did. You look at the movies that Dinesh D'Souza has put out in the last couple of years, and they are some of the worst pieces of garbage that I have ever seen in my life. The uh, Dinesh D'Souza's 2016 Obama's America is just absolute trash. It is a trash fire the size of the state of Texas. And it is, it's just, it's bullshit. It's all terrible. And it's poorly put together. He thinks he's Michael Moore, and he's not. So it's when people try to do the same thing that Moore does and fail it's it almost makes you appreciate how well Moore puts these things together even though they're very biased if you're looking for the other side of it i'm sure your racist uncle will tell you all about the immigration problems in europe <laughs> and all about inflation and unemployment and 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 you know you go watch fox and friends and i'm sure sometime this week They'll talk about Michael Moore's Where to Invade Next and how awful it is and all of the things wrong with it. There are other sides to this, but that's not Moore's point. Moore's point is, look, there are other countries that took our ideas and improved upon them, and we can make them even better ourselves. And we've, we've instead decided to kind of calcify and stay in place since like the 1980s and 1990s and we mm -hmm. haven't really changed much about what it is our government does and how it functions so let's let's have a long look and a long discussion about what we should do and how we should maybe we should regulate the banks more maybe we should get rid of standardized testing and have more recess maybe we should pay teachers more um, 
you know, there there are all sorts of very interesting ideas that I think you can look at all of these things individually and then decide for yourself. Um, there are obvious downsides to many of these. We're never going to be able to have the uh, the Norwegian prison system. Uh, well, it's in Norway, so... Well, no. <laughs> but uh, he goes and, and talks to... Uh, one of the family members uh, of the victims of that uh, violent mass killing from a couple of years ago and uh, points out the fact that the the strongest sentence that they have in Norway is something like 30 years in prison. And so he's like, no, I don't. I would rather he gets out of jail in 30 years than, than impose the death penalty in my country. And I'm just like, what? But, you know, those are the most poignant moments in this. And and that's what you should go looking for. Don't pay attention to Michael Moore. He's intentionally being a buffoon through most of this. Go and listen to the other people who are experiencing these things. And when they hear about what life is like in America and watch how their eyes go wide. And they're like, how do you guys even live like that? Listen to the Icelandic CEO who says you would not, you could not pay me enough money on this planet to make me relocate my country to or my company to America, because you don't treat each other as neighbors. All you care about is competing with one another, and it's it's all it's all male testosterone, and we have this great uh, system. Uh, where we we work with one another, and it's very inspiring. Don't they pay make attention. good vodka too, by the way. <laughs> the Iceland, the Icelanders. Oh yeah, nice. I got some last night. A little like micro batch. I was like, oh, I'll try it out. And yeah, it was delicious. <laughs> uh, you know, that's what that's what Michael Moore really needed to make this about was bringing back booze from other countries. <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about things that will actually happen. No, that is. That is true. Well, that's kind of like what we do when we send people to California to bring us Kirkland vodka from Costco, so... <laughs> <laughs> that may as well be another country. <laughs> that, that, is, that is true. Uh, so so my final rating on this, this is a 7 out of 10. It's it's good, not great, but, um, but you should check it out if that sounds like something that's interesting to you. Well, it is cool that, again, Michael Moore always makes entertaining movies, and the ideas brought up you know, are always thought-provoking and, you know, get you thinking about things. Uh, so even if I don't always disagree with the way he, or agree with the way he presents himself, I mean, it is, I've always had fun with his movies, so. Yeah. Uh, speaking of having fun with movies, <clears throat> Brooke, you and I got to go see Zoolander 2 together, and then Andy, you saw it recently as well, so yep. we all can chime in on this. Uh, Brooke, why don't you tell us about what Zoolander 2 is and is not all about? Okay. Um, so Zoolander 1 is one of my go-to movies when I just want to laugh at things that otherwise would make me cry. So, um, I think it's funny. I thought I had low expectations going into the second movie. Um, Mm -hmm. The bar was raised a bit for me by the SNL skit. It made me very hopeful that the movie would be fantastic. And um, the movie picks up where the last one ended with Zoolander's school that he made for children who want to learn to read good and do other things good to collapses 
and it, <laughs> um, why, why does it collapse again? I forget. It collapses because he uses the same materials they used to make the model for the actual <laughs> building. So, like, the support beams being made out of popsicle sticks as opposed to actual beams. Um, and his wife, Matilda... Can I say these things without being spoilery? It's um, the first five minutes of the movie, so... Okay. So, his wife dies. We find out that Hansel gets a horrible face deformation because of the accident, and his son ends up being taken away from him because he is an idiot and doesn't know how to take care of him and can't make the noodles soft for spaghetti. So, um, from there, the movie takes off about... Basically, he goes into hiding and then comes back out in an attempt to start working again and try to get his son back and all of the lovely shenanigans that take place between here and there to reconnecting with his son in another attempt of destroying him and destroying the world by the fashion industry. So, um, the movie does start out with a fantastic scene with Justin Bieber, which I won't ruin. For anyone because it's probably the most brilliant part of the movie well one of them there's a lot of cameos in this movie that make it very fun and very entertaining they were probably some of my favorite parts um the first 20 to 30 minutes of this movie i did not stop laughing i thought it was hilarious i felt like really hopeful i they didn't keep it up throughout the rest of the movie uh, i've talked about this with with andy and some people a little bit the reason i I liked the first movie is because it was very clearly making fun of societal and industry standards that were set to kind of shame other people and kind of trying to break down those walls into making fun of them to make the world a little bit of a better place. Um, I feel like in this movie they forgot what they were making fun of. And I think that they kind of missed the bar. I think that some of the things that they made fun of really will lead to increasing hate instead of breaking down walls um, because the people that they were quote-unquote parodying or making fun of, um, people who already have hate towards those things aren't going to realize that the joke is on them. They're just It's just going to make things a little bit worse, I feel. And I think that while they attempted to do some good things, I, I think they forgot who they were making fun of and what the point of, of their comedy was. And it was funny, it was entertaining, but it was not up to par. I, I agree. I mean, you always run this risk when you put your message in the mouth of idiots... And you say, hey, these guys are carrying the movie, but they're obviously stupid. And then they go out and they're making fun of people who are overweight or who are maybe non-gender, non-binary gender. And you don't know whether they are making fun of those people or whether they're making fun of making fun of those people and the joke is on them. Because that is never actually clear, it it comes off really mixed. And I I, felt, I completely agree. They missed the mark there. At least in the first Zoolander, uh, you got that when 
when Derek was making fun of himself, uh, when they made a joke about anorexia, you got that they were actually not supporting being anorexic. It was just that these guys were idiots, and they were actually like, say, don't be anorexic. Um, that was never clear here. So. No, it wasn't. Like, a model idiot? You know, he's the idiot. Like, yeah. There's, there's no mistaking that. And for the joke to suddenly be, I gave your son eight square meals a day. Like, that's actually, they just missed it. <laughs> and there were parts of the movie where I was like, wow, am I really going to sit here and, and almost be offended by a movie that I know is supposed to be making fun of the people who make fun of these things? But... The fact that I was feeling that way made me feel like they really just, they hit too close to home without any, without the spotlight being where the joke was really supposed to be. Like I just, I was, I was disappointed in that. Yeah, I mean the biggest thing with a movie like this is, first of all going in, the question almost was, do we really need a Zoolander 2? I mean, the first one kind of said everything we had to say about what was going on and, you know what? The whole lightning in a bottle of capturing this really crazy time and crazy idea into a movie that really shouldn't have worked because it was so over the top and stupid. Like, you know, what's what more is there to say about this? And I think the answer is there really wasn't. If, if anything, this movie pretty much rehashes the first one in a lot of different ways. Um, you've got very similar plot points. Uh, I won't give them away just because they're kind of there's some moments that are fun to kind of figure out on your own. But yeah, I do definitely agree that this one was more. Instead of you know poking the stick at an idea or something that was wrong with society, they were more poking the stick on the people who they thought were wrong with society, and that was kind of weird and odd, especially the, the choice, like you mentioned, with the eight square meals with a, a certain character. Um, so yeah, that was. Eh. Uh, my biggest problem though was that, like you mentioned, Brooke, the first twenty minutes, we, you and I sat there laughing our asses off. I mean, it was nonstop, just hilarious jokes. I was snorting. Uh, Oh yeah, you were. <laughs> uh, just from, I mean, the cameos are wonderful. I mean, I won't, he's in the trailer, so saying that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch absolutely is hilarious. Kristen Wiig is great. I mean, she's there just chewing the scene and literally floating around everywhere. So there's so much fun stuff. Uh, Penelope Cruz was funny. I mean, there's there's so much good stuff going on here. And then it's almost like halfway through or 30 minutes in, whichever came sooner. They just kind of lost their way, and the, and the middle of that movie is just absolutely boring. I mean, there's there's no way around it. It's yeah, just you you kind of wonder where where you're going, what's going to happen next, and the end does pick up and make it fun again uh, with the the addition of a final character. But yeah, I mean, it's there are funny moments in it. I'm kind of where I am with with uh, How to Be Single. It's like there are worse things you can go out there and see. Uh, I think I might have had a little bit more fun with it than you guys did, but yeah, just it's. For a movie that doesn't even really need to exist, the, there was enough funny in it to get me involved. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's not a spoiler to say that Will Ferrell is back as Mugatu in this, and that's yeah, what trailer, so. that's what I was missing for. Like that first twenty minutes was yeah hilarious, but it was like 
cameo joke, cameo joke, setup, setup, setup. And then we had to have this middle 30 minutes of like plot exposition. At least the first Zoolander, when they did that, it's like, oh, Derek's going off to find himself. They did hilarious things like uh, the, the lover boy working for the weekend scene down in the mine where, you know, they're they're making fun of this. And, you know, lots of things like that. And they just drop the ball on that. When Will Ferrell shows up again, I'm like, there. That's what I was missing. I was missing this insane manic presence uh, because that that was my favorite part of the original Zoolander is, is him saying, like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Which is what I'm... The things I quote most often in my life, I say oh, it yeah. all the time. Yeah. My yeah. niece actually so, texted me as I was coming out of the off out of the movie, and she she was asking me a question, and she said, "I feel like I'm taking crazy pills," but she didn't know I was in the movie, and that's how often I quote <laughs> that in my life. <laughs> yeah, and that's and it, honestly, yeah, when Will Ferrell shows up, that's when the movie picks up again. Uh, yeah. It's because he, you know, he's as very much as he's been a character actor and hasn't done as much good stuff lately. I mean, Mugatu is almost one of his iconic roles because he made that character so wonderfully zany and insane and crazy, and that's what that was what was made the first one half fun was that. Um, so, yeah, you can basically what we're saying is go see this movie about 20 minutes in when they get uh, right when they get to Rome, get up and leave, go watch part of Deadpool, and then time it to about an hour and 15 minutes to come back <laughs> and watch Mugatu, and then then you'll be fine. Except that you'll miss one of my favorite cameos in the entire movie, and I won't say which one, but he's got a telescope, and that's my that was my favorite part of the entire. Oh movie. yeah, yeah, he yeah that, again. This movie lives and dies by its cameos, and it, as weird as it sounds, it makes the movie a million times better and funnier. I mean, there's so many great cameos in here from, uh, like you mentioned before, with. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch to we don't want to give away some surprises there might be a couple rockers in there uh, but yeah every, every single time a certain character is on screen uh, with Hansel I think we know what we're talking about yeah pulled um, scene every time he was in and uh, I could have watched <laughs> it's my scene, favorite I could have watched that scene 24 more times yeah, I loved I loved the scene where they're where they're talking on the phone and they're throwing out all these clues and I'm like these guys are so dense, like they don't get who he's talking to. This is so funny. Um, but when when that guy shows up with the telescope, and when the pop singer who shows up immediately before him, uh, I laughed out loud at at him, and I my immediate thought was like. That's the first time I've laughed in like 15, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I had forgotten that this was a comedy. So, <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, like, I will see this movie again, but because of the cameos. Like, I think when I, I go into a sequel, I always wonder why, why are we making, like, what does it need? Why does the world need this movie to be made? And I think for some of the things. Like, there are definitely issues going on that would validate a second Zoolander. And I I just don't think they did it well. Like, well they did it up to par of the first one. I think that, like, like I said, I think they forgot who the joke was on. And um, the way that they presented things, 
is confusing. Well, it's like they really went after high fashion in the first film, and this idea of things being, you know, just really ridiculous, and the idea of, like, this derelict line and, and so on. And what they're saying about the fashion industry now is they've got this new guy who's a hipster, and he he's so mealy-mouthed, and he's saying, like, he's essentially like, oh, I love all of these things ironically, and I don't know if that means that I love them or I hate them, and so I'm constantly insulting everyone, but that really means that I like them? That that becomes, like, that got so confusing because I don't know if you're making fun of hipsters or you're making fun of irony. Uh, it They really needed to hone that humor to say what needed to be said about these guys and be like, yeah, that guy's a douchebag. And <laughs> and they didn't they didn't ever like out out and out say that. Um but Yeah, I didn't know if they're making fun of me for being old or making fun of him for being a hipster. I was confused. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well he he got his due, so that's all I'll say about that. That made me happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very so, much yes. Yeah, like this the first one's better, so if you want to see a really funny movie Go see Deadpool, and then go see Zoolander 1. Um, but, yeah, it's, it kind of falls apart under its own weight. That being said, though, the cameos make it worthwhile, and even if it's only the first 20, 30 minutes, uh, I, I haven't laughed that hard at a movie in a long time. I'm, I'm at a 7 right now. Maybe a little higher than I should be, but I was in a good mood when I wrote my review. Uh, so it, it's, it's not the greatest thing out there, um, but like I'll say before... There are worse things you can go see. Go see Deadpool instead, and then go see this. Yeah, no, I, that's I'm exactly in the same place. It's a seven, but that's where I'm at with all of these movies. All of these are good, I think, decent movies, possibly worth your time, depending on how much connection you feel to the material. But they're not the most amazing things. But a seven, that's like the that's like the C plus B minus. Like, hey, good job, you're doing all right. You guys are nicer than me. Um, <laughs> maybe because I'm a feminist, there were a lot of things about this movie that I feel like they didn't help us. They didn't make the jokes right. So I'm at a five. I think the opening scene could push me up to a six because that, like, I think everyone needs to see that opening. That, that scene's worth a point in and of itself. Even if this movie is horrible, <laughs> it still get one point. So I'll give it a 6. I'll give it a 6 out of 10. Um, like I said, I'll see it again. The opening scene was great. The cameos, like some of my favorite, my uh, uh, second favorite actor was my favorite cameo throughout the whole thing. Um, so definitely worth it. I'll definitely see it again. Don't go in expecting to be able to laugh at the jokes the same way you laughed at the first jokes in the first one, but they're still laughable, they're still funny, and I was in tears in the first 20 to 30 minutes, so, <laughs> I mean, I, I was actually physically embarrassed of myself at one point for how hard I was laughing with the person sitting next to me just staring at me, so it, it makes you laugh, it is funny, it's exciting. I was just glad there was no one in front of me, because I think I did spit soda up one time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that'll take us to the end of this week. Again, Brooke, thank you so much for hopping on with us. It's always a pleasure having you here. Thank you for um, having me. It 
it's a, this week's coming up, it's really, really slow. Um, we've got the, looks like, biblical drama Risen with Joseph Fiennes and Tom Felton. So we got Draco Malfoy in there doing something bad with the Bible. Uh, and then the horror movie The Witch, which opened at uh, Sundance last year. It's getting a lot of buzz. Uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to see that one. I've already seen it from Sundance last year, so I will definitely be weighing in. But until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly. Punk ass It's love and it's tasteless.